You are listening to the Bellator Christie Podcast, brought to you by bellatorchristie.com. Now step into the arena of ideas with your host, Dr. Brian Shelton. Coming to you from the mystic, majestic mountains of northwestern North Carolina, this is the Bellator Christie Podcast. My name is Dr. Brian Chilton, and I'll be your guide, your host, for the next 30 minutes to an hour that we have together. Uh, if you're new to the Bellator Christie Podcast, we discuss issues of the Bible, Christian faith, theology, apologetics, which means to uh, defend the Christian faith, philosophy, history, and a whole lot more. Uh, so if you're interested in deeper truths of the Christian faith that you may not be able to, to discuss much in church, uh, this is the place for you. And so we're so thankful that you're with us. If you're logging on with us on the live stream, uh, then I do apologize. We're starting here about 10 minutes later than normal and uh, I'm not exactly sure what's going on. I actually logged on earlier than, than I normally do and have been battling, um, I'm not sure if it's internet issues, I'm not sure if it's something going on with the computer or exactly what it is, uh, but uh, I've been, been struggling here for a little bit trying to get the podcast on the air. So I hope that maybe that's a good sign that what we're going to discuss today will be of uh, great benefit to you, our listener, and uh, I, we are very appreciative of you, our listeners and viewers as well, and so thank you for joining us on this edition of the Bellator Christie Podcast. Before we get started tonight, we are going to talk about uh, divine covenants, uh, and we have uh, made mention quite a bit of uh, in the study of bibliology, study of the Bible, we've spoken of things uh, concerning the revelation of God. And, uh, and of course, as we've said before, if we hold that the Bible is the Word of God, it's the revealed Word of God, then, then God has to be able, by sheer logic alone, uh, He has to be able to reveal certain things to us or communicate with us. Because if God doesn't communicate and the Bible is the communicated Word of God, then the Bible can't be the communicated Word of God if God doesn't communicate. I mean, it's just simple logic. It just stands to reason. But if God communicated with the authors of Scripture, then it also means that in some form or fashion, He communicates with us today. I hope that makes sense. So one of the ways in which God has communicated with us has been through divine covenants. And we're going to talk about that here in a few short moments. But before we do, I want to, take a, I want to go off script a little bit for a few moments and ask you uh, to be sure... And I know that unless you've been living under the rock the past week, you know about the conflict going on in Israel. And, you know, I am a person and that, that I stay away from political issues. I stay away a lot of times from world events because I feel that the calling of this ministry is devoted exclusively to the Word of God, to the truths of the Christian faith. But there are some situations that happen in history, in life, that are so grand that are so big that need to be discussed and so the only thing I want to say tonight is I want to ask for prayer uh, ask prayers for those people in Israel uh, the terrorist group Hamas as you are well aware uh, invaded Israel attacked Israel and um, and even had great committed great atrocities 
uh, with even massacring little babies, uh, stealing away women as, as sex slaves, um, things of this nature. This, this is a great evil that has transpired. And we want to pray for, for the people in Israel. We want to also pray for uh, the Palestinians who were not associated with, with uh, the uh, terrorist attacks or even the terrorist sales who are caught even now uh, in, in, that, uh, in that area. There's just a lot of victims to what was a senseless, uh, senseless nonsensical attack. Uh, and so we need to be much in prayer for uh, the people affected and impacted uh, by that great tragedy. Some people have even likened it to Israel's 9-11, and uh, that very well may be the case. So be much in prayer for the people over in the Middle East. And, of course, continued prayers going over uh, to the folks in Ukraine and Russia where they're caught in a crossfire uh, in that, uh, that turmoil going on as well. So many prayers need to be going out. Uh, going out tonight as we remember our friends worldwide. And remember that the Church of God, the Church of Christ, uh, consists of people from all nationalities, all ethnicities, all languages. Uh, I was talking with a good friend of mine today, and we were talking about uh, how it's going to surprise many people how colorful heaven is because there are going to be people from all around the world uh, there singing praises to God and that wonderful, glorious heaven that He's prepared for us. And if you've read my book, Conversations About Heaven, you know that we're going to do more than just singing there in heaven. Uh, we've got a lot of great tasks uh, that we're going to do in heaven uh, for all eternity and what a wonderful place that's going to be. But be much in prayer for friends over in the Middle East. With that said, let's get go over to the content. Of, I'll go over the content of tonight's episode. Over the past few weeks, we've discussed the revelation of God. Uh, we spoke about how God has revealed Himself through various means, including theophanies, Christophanies, the Holy Spirit, uh, His Word, impressions uh, that I believe, and I think God does work through signs. We're going to talk about uh, talk about that coming up. And by the way, our, our next question zone coming up the twenty sixth on a double header. I can't wait for that. I don't know what Curtis has in mind, but we have had some great discussions uh, here the past couple of weeks over some issues that's been brought to the forefront of the theological apologetic world, and we may even talk about some of those things. I don't know what he has planned, but after some of our conversations these past couple of weeks, the next question zone is going to be really, really good. But tonight we want to discuss divine covenants. The revelation of God is progressive, meaning that God revealed more to his people over the course of time. Uh, future revelations were built upon previous ones. There are many examples of God's progressive revelation. For instance, the previous physical temple structure symbolized the spiritual and eternal temple of Almighty God in heaven. The inner sanctum represents the throne room of God. It began as a tabernacle, as God tabernacled with people in these tents, and gradually it grew into, into larger temples, and it was later understood in Revelation, uh, it brought to light how this inner sanctum represents the holy place of God. And, and it... Uh, and in ancient times, uh, the high holy priest, only one person, could go into the holy of holies, that inner sanctum, and be in the presence of God one time a year, Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. 
Well, later on, when Christ when Christ died on the cross, the veil of the temple in the inner sanctum was ripped from top to bottom, meaning that it was an act of God ripped from top to bottom, meaning that people had full and complete access to God through the work of Christ and through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Well, the same is true when we speak of divine covenants. A covenant is an agreement between two parties, especially when one of the parties is God himself. The Hebrew word for covenant is berit. Uh, the Bible gives several examples of covenants or promises that God made with people over the course of space and time. Ultimately, these covenants progressively increase to the point that we reach the new covenant found in Christ. Several covenants are mentioned in the Bible. But among them, five stand out as the most crucial and most important. They include the Noahic Covenant, the Abrahamic Covenant, the Mosaic Covenant, the Davidic Covenant, and the New Covenant. So in our, in our podcast or episode tonight, let's take a look at these major covenants and what God reveals about Himself in the process. Let's first start with the Noahic Covenant. First, the Bible mentions the Noahic covenant in the book of Genesis. As previously mentioned, the word berit is used for covenant. The word is first used in connection with the flood in Genesis 6.18 and in chapter 9, verses 8-17. through 17. And hopefully, if everything works well, I'm going to try to bring up some uh, scripture to share with you uh, here in a few moments, especially as we move through. But in case you're not familiar with the story, the world had become extremely wicked. Uh, God decided to destroy all that was evil. However, he wanted to spare a handful of righteous people to repopulate the earth. Therefore, he caused Noah and his family to build an ark large enough to house them and an a large array of animals. God made a covenant with them. And let's pull this up if we can real quickly. Again, the technology has not been working very well tonight. So we'll keep our fingers crossed that hopefully maybe it will right now. So I'm going to try to share. If you're on the live stream here, I'm going to try to share my screen and see if it will work right. So let's just see here if this does what I'm going to hope it will do. So uh, here we go. Let's share. All right, and here we are. Uh, hopefully, you can see that on your screen. Um, and so, we are looking at uh, Genesis 6.18. Genesis 6.18. So, let's type this in. Genesis 6.18. And the Bible says, But I will establish my covenant with you, and you will enter the ark with your sons, your wife, and your son's wife. So again, this is a covenant that God had established. This covenant formulated an agreement uh, between Noah and God. Noah built the ark and entered, entered it with his family. And God kept his end of the bargain and he saved them amid a global catastrophe. After the flood, God directs uh, the ark to land on, at Mount Ararat. Noah and his family, along with the animals, depart the ark. Uh, God made a pact there with Noah, humanity, and the entire earth that he would never again destroy the world by water. And this is in Genesis 9, 8 through 17. Let's take a quick look at that. Genesis 9, 8 through 17. Let's see if I can get this to pull up. Genesis 9, 8 through 17. 
Then God said to Noah and his sons with him, Understand that I am establishing my covenant with you and your descendants after you, and with every living creature that is with you, birds, livestock, and all wildlife of the earth that are with you, all animals of the earth that came out of the ark. I establish my covenant with you that will never again uh, that that never again will every creature be wiped out by floodwaters. There will never again be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, This is the sign of the covenant I am making between me and you and every living creature with you, a covenant for all future generations. I have placed my bow, my rainbow, in the clouds, and it will be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. When I form clouds over the earth and the bow appears in the clouds, I will remember my covenant between me and you and all the living creatures. Water will never again become a flood to destroy every creature. Let's just end right there. So the sign of the covenant is the rainbow. The rainbow is not only a reminder of God's covenant with humanity, but it also stands to remind the entire world of God's promise. So the Noahic covenant reveals several things about God and his interactions with the world. First, the Noahic covenant speaks to God's holiness and justice. Sinfulness impacts not only the person committing the sin, but it also damages others and God's creation. God holds people accountable for their actions, and that's what we need to remember. Even as Christians, we must stand before the judgment seat of Christ. So what we do matters. God holds us accountable. But it also damages others in God's creation, sin does. God holds people accountable for their actions. While God is love, he is also holy and just. And secondly, the Noahic covenant speaks to the loving grace and salvific nature of God. Even though God would have been completely justified in destroying humanity and creation for good and all, God saved a remnant. Even when all is lost, God has a way of saving a remnant people. There's much more that could be said, but let us leave it there for now. Secondly, there's the Abrahamic covenant. The Abrahamic covenant further reveals the grace of God. The Apostle Paul even argued in Galatians 3.8. And let's just pull that up real quickly. Galatians 3.8. Um, righty. Galatians 3.8. Now the scripture saw in advance that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and proclaim the gospel ahead of time to Abraham, saying, All the nations will be blessed through you. And consequently, those who have faith are blessed with Abraham who had faith. In the Abrahamic covenant, in Genesis 15, 1-21, God promised Abraham that he would have offspring even though he was childless. God assured Abraham, then known as Abram, that his descendants would be as numerous as the stars in Genesis 15.5. Abraham offered a sacrifice and cut it in two. The Lord himself passed through the two halves. God also gave the land to Abraham from the brook of Egypt to the Euphrates River in Genesis 15.18. God also promised Abraham that he would be the father of numerous nations in Genesis 17.1-27. Ultimately, God's covenant with Abraham was fulfilled in Christ. Through Christ, Abraham's spiritual descendants are found in every nation, tribe, and tongue. And if you count the spiritual descendants of Abraham, they are indeed as numerous as the stars. Surely Paul was right. 
The Abrahamic covenant was the gospel before the gospel. Theologically, the Abrahamic covenant provided a glimpse of what God would eventually do through His Son, Jesus. And that leads us to the next covenant, the third covenant that we'll discuss tonight, the Mosaic covenant. Uh, scripture speaks of the Mosaic covenant, which is a perhaps one of the largest covenants as it involves the entire law of God that God gave Moses on Mount Sinai. In many respects, the Mosaic Covenant is God's agreement to be Israel's God if they promised to be His people. There was a reason for this. It was not as if God needed their worship. It's not as if God needs our worship. He doesn't require it as if He needed something. Rather, the people would be a witness to the nations. They would be a witness to the nations. God using Israel was for an evangelistic purpose. Now, I want to pull this up real quickly. This is Exodus, Exodus um, 19, verses 4 through 6. You have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you keep, will, will carefully listen to me and keep my covenant and will be my own possession out of all the people... Through, although the, the whole earth is mine, and you will be a kingdom of priests and my holy nation. These are the words that you are to say to the Israelites. And so they were to be a light to the nations. Uh, if the people were faithful to the Lord, then he would use them as a holy nation. The people would be a light to the nations. And we see this in Isaiah, and this is just too good not to quote, Isaiah 49 verse 6. He says, It is not, not enough for you to be my servant, raising up the tribes of Jacob and restoring the protected, protected ones of Israel. I will make you a light for the nations to be my salvation to the ends of the earth. God's plan was to use Israel, his chosen people, to be a light unto the nations. And then ultimately, that light would shine through Christ and through the church. The terms of the covenant were quite simple. If the people obeyed the Lord's law, then God would bless them abundantly. However, if they rebelled against the Lord, then they would be cursed, meaning that they would lose the hedge of divine protection given to them. Now understand, this, this, this wasn't as if God was benefiting uh, from this outside of the fact that he was using Israel as an evangelistic means to witness to the world that the true God was not found in these idols. Uh, the, the true God was not found in objects made by hands because, as I've said before, the Bible tells us that idolatry is adultery against the Lord. However, God used Israel to be evangelistic and to tell all the nations that there is a God and that God's name is Yahweh, uh, Yahweh, that God's name is holy and, and really shouldn't even probably even be uttered if we're honest about it. Uh, it is a holy name, meaning the I am that I am and what a powerful, powerful holy name God has. And it just speaks to his self-existence. Thomas Aquinas even mentions of all the divine names, that name, I am, probably speaks most to his identity of who he is, self-existent, pure actuality, uh, pure being, pure existence itself. 
But the terms, again, were quite simple. If they obeyed God and God's law, serving as a light to the nations, then God would bless them abundantly. But however, if they didn't and they rebelled against the Lord, then God would remove the hedge of protection that he had around them and they would succumb to enemy nations. So what do we learn from the Mosaic Covenant? The people were unwilling to keep the covenant of God. The book of Judges recounts how Israel turned from God after being established in the promised land. Each subsequent judge and accompanying generation became more depraved than the previous one as they were living their lives outside of, of the parameters of God's law. The law thus serves uh, so each you know so they became more and more depraved. The law thus serves as a mirror showing humanity how incapable they are of being holy enough to enter God's kingdom. God extended grace with the Israelites, and assuredly many lived holy and righteous lives before God. However, as Paul teaches in Galatians three nineteen, and this is too good not to not to quote and pull up Galatians. Um, Three uh, nineteen and says, Why then was the law given? It was added for the sake of transgressions until the seed to whom the promise was made would come. The law was put into effect through angels by means of a mediator. Now he goes on down to verse 24 and says this, The law then was our guardian until Christ so that we could be justified by faith. So, in other words, the law was a guardian to keep people in the righteousness and to keep people in the graces of God to show them how to live righteous and holy lives before the Lord. Again, the law was not given for God's benefit. It was given for our benefit. And this leads us to the fourth covenant that we'll discuss tonight, the fourth major covenant in the Bible, and that's the Davidic covenant. Built upon the previous ones, we find the fourth major covenant in Scripture, the Davidic covenant, as we mentioned, and notice that each of these covenants tends to build upon the other. As the name implies, the Davidic covenant was made with David himself. God gave this covenant through the prophet Daniel as the prophet spoke to David, and this comes in 2 Samuel Samuel, uh, 7, verse 8 and following. And I'm going to go ahead and read this covenant to you now. It says, So now this is what you are to say to my servant David. He's speaking through Nathan. This is what the Lord of armies, or the Lord of hosts, says. I took you from the pasture, from tending the flock, to be ruler over my people Israel. I have been with you wherever you have gone, and I have destroyed all your enemies before you. I will make a great name for you, like that of the, like that of the greatest on the earth. I will designate a place for my people Israel and plant them so that they may live there and not be disturbed again. Evildoers will not continue to oppress them as they have done. Ever since the day I ordered judges to be over my people Israel, I will give you rest from all your enemies. The Lord declares to you, the Lord himself will make a house for you. When your time comes and and you rest with your ancestors, meaning that he would depart the body, absent from the body, be present with the Lord, Abraham's bosom, and that paradise he's prepared for them, for him. When your time comes and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up after you your descendant who will come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. 
He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he will be my son. When he does wrong, I will discipline him with the rod of men and blows from mortals. But my faithful love will never leave him as it did when I removed it from Saul, whom I removed from before you. Your house and kingdom will endure before me forever, and your throne will be established forever. And Nathan reported all these words and this entire vision to David. Now, let's just stop right now and say, as we mentioned at the outset of the podcast, it is vividly clear that Israel is not at peace. It's vividly clear that the enemies of Israel have not ceased attacking them. So what in the world is God talking about here? Well, if you put on the spiritual lens, I think you see what he's, what he's saying. Ultimately, there would be a descendant who would come. And that descendant would not be like any other ruler. That descendant would not be like any other king. That descendant would be the Holy Son of God who would establish a kingdom, who would be of the lineage of David himself and would have a kingdom that would last forever and ever and no one, and I mean no one, can take it away from him. There's not a terrorist on earth nor a demon of hell that can remove the kingdom of God from his son Jesus, who is a descendant of David. So what do we learn from this divine covenant, or this Davidic covenant? Again, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to see the connections made with Jesus Christ, who was a descendant of David. This is why the New Testament writers placed such a high value on Jesus' ancestry, as seen in Matthew 1.1, Luke 1.32-33, Acts 2.29-32, Romans 1.3, 2 Timothy 2.8, Revelation 3.7, Revelation 5.5, Revelation 22.16, all of which vividly described Jesus as being a son of who? David. God fulfilled this promise through Jesus Christ. And only a divine person could fulfill the promise of holding an everlasting kingdom. And only in the heavenly kingdom could one find absolute peace without the threat of enemy oppression, again I say, and it's well worth repeating, that the heavenly kingdom of God will not ever, no, not never, I'm going to use biblical language here, no, not never uh, uh, feel the effect of any human terrorist or any uh, demon from hell. We will be completely safe in the arms of Christ, in the arms of God, forever and ever and ever and ever, period. That's the power of that Davidic covenant. Now, do you see here again how each of these covenants build upon the previous ones? Well, (laughs) it only stands to reason that we move into this fifth, this fifth covenant called the New Covenant. There's a reason why the New Testament is called the New Testament, because it's talking about that new covenant, testifying to the new covenant of God. Subsequent covenants are built upon previous ones. This leads us again to the fifth and final covenant. In many respects, it is the ultimate 
covenant. Now, sometimes people may want to separate this from the everlasting covenant, but I think they're one and the same. Here we're talking about the new covenant. The new covenant is far better than the previous covenants because, as Wayne Grudem notes, it fulfills the promises of a better covenant that were made long ago. It's so good, I even quoted a Calvinist. <laughs> it's so good, I even quoted a Calvinist. And I understand, you know, we've talked about these uh, issues with Calvinism, non-Calvinism. Listen, we're all brothers and sisters in Christ, no matter how you view that perspective. And I'm just, of course, joking there when I said that. But let's take a look at this, uh, this new covenant as presented in the book of Jeremiah. I'm quoting a lot of scripture here tonight, but it's well worth reading because we need to really get a grasp on where these covenants are found and what these covenants say. So in Jeremiah 31 verses 31 through 34, the prophet says this, look the days are coming. This is the Lord's declaration. When I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, this one will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors on the day I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke even though I am their master, the Lord's declaration. Instead, this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days, the Lord's declaration. Notice how many times he's talking about the declaration of the Lord. I will put my teaching where? Within their heart. I will put my teaching within them and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will one teach his neighbor or his brother saying, Know the Lord, for they will all know me from the least to the greatest of them. This is the Lord's declaration. Who? How about this? For I will forgive their iniquity and never again remember their sin. Folks, let me just tell you this. If someone keeps bringing up your sins of yesteryear, you need to bring them back to this passage of Scripture because understand this, even though God holds us accountable for what we do in the body of Christ, understand this, our sins will never keep us from getting into heaven because of what the atoning because of the atoning work of Christ done for us on the cross because of the new covenant that we have with him and folks you're going to get me preaching here I'm telling you this is good good stuff Jeremiah's promises are later re- recapped here again we got to go back to some scripture here Hebrews in the New Testament Hebrews let's read chapter 8 verse 6 and following Oh, this is good stuff. Look what what the writer of Hebrews says, But Jesus has now obtained a superior ministry, and to that degree he is the mediator of a better covenant, which has been established on better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion for a second one. But finding fault with his people, he says, He's speaking here of, uh, of, Jer- of Jeremiah. See, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Jacob, or excuse me, Judah. And he goes on and quotes this passage of Scripture and uh, saying, you know, sh- showing this. And he goes on down in verse 13. By saying a new covenant, he has declared that the first one is obsolete. And what is obsolete and growing old is about to pass away. We are under this new covenantal agreement that God has given us where he promises to forgive our wrongdoing, forgive our sins, and never remember them in a, in a punitive manner. We are redeemed by the blood of Christ.
And if it's not, <laughs> if that's not good enough, <laughs> through the new covenant, a person finds salvation and eternal fellowship with God. Jesus, the Messiah, lived among us, atoned our sins, and rose again. He died once for all. Now let's take a look at Hebrews nine. Here's good stuff in Hebrews. Hebrews nine, uh, verses twenty-four. And following, for Christ did not enter a sanctuary made with hands, only a model of the true one. That's what we were talking about a while ago with the temple, that the sanctuary made with hands is only a model of the true one found in heaven. But in heaven itself, he didn't go like the high holy priest into the inner sanctum on earth. He went to the very throne room, Christ did, to the very throne room of God, into heaven itself, so that he might now appear in the presence of God for us. He did not do this to offer himself many times as the high priest enters the sanctuary yearly with the blood of another. Otherwise, he would have had to suffer many times since the foundation of the world. But now he has appeared one time at the end of the ages for the removal of sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as it is appointed for people to die once, and after this the judgment so also Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are patiently, I'm going to add that word patiently, waiting for Him. And all God's people said, Amen. <laughs> what a powerful word. Additionally, Christ revealed God more fully to us. John 1.14 tells us that the light has come into the world and lived among us. Uh, let's take a look at Hebrews 1, 1 through 3. Hebrews 1, 1 through 3. Long ago, God spoke to our ancestors by the prophets at different times and in different ways. In these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, God has appointed him heir of all things and made the universe through him. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact expression of his nature. Sustaining all things. What? How? Why? By his powerful word. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So he became superior to the angels, just as the name he inherited is more excellent than theirs. Christ revealed God more fully to us. He poured out his Holy Spirit on all people within the covenantal power of God. Let's take a look real quickly at one passage of Scripture. That's 2 Corinthians um, Corinthians uh, 3, 4 through 18. Such is the confidence we have through Christ before God. It is not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything is coming from ourselves, but our inadequacy is from God. He has made us com competent to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Now, if the ministry that brought death, chiseled in letters of stone, came with glory so that the Israelites were not able to gaze steadily at Moses' face because of the glory which was set aside, how will the ministry of the Spirit not be more glorious? Whew, what a powerful word. 
not be more glorious, for if the ministry that brought condemnation had glory, the ministry that brings righteousness overflows with even more glory. In fact, what had been glorious is not glorious now by comparison because of the glory that surpasses it. For if what was set aside was glorious, what endures will be even more glorious. And so let's just pause right there. As Jeremiah promised, God wrote his law on our hearts. In Hebrews 8.10, it's requoted. The new covenant, as in Hebrews 13.20 tells us, is an eternal covenant. It's an everlasting covenant. It's a covenant that will never end. And in this covenant, it is not about what a person does, has done, or what's been in their past. This covenant is built upon not our works, but on the works of Almighty God through His Son Jesus and given over to us by His powerful and mighty Holy Spirit. That is the new covenant. That new covenant is everlasting. God reveals His plans to save humanity through the five major covenants with, with, with us. Each covenant progressively increased in intensity, and through them God offers greater blessings, culminating in the promise of eternal life. Um, much more could be said about these promises um, and about these covenants. But as we end tonight and focus on the study of Scripture as a whole, it is important to note the connection found throughout the totality of the Word of God. The Old Testament cannot be separated from the New. As it has been shown, and as it has been said, the Old Testament is the New Testament concealed, and the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. The covenants display the loving grace of God given to people from all generations and time. Furthermore, some people see the God of the Old Testament as mean and vindictive and the God of the New Testament as loving and gracious. But in reality, God is the one and same in both Testaments. He patiently extends grace to His people and desires the salvation of all people. The Bible is a unified story of love and grace. May you be filled with God's love and grace as you continue your journey in His name. Now, coming up next week, we're going to dive deeper into the notion of inspiration and what Paul meant in 2 Timothy 3.16, stating that God inspires all of Scripture. But until that time, we say God bless, and we'll see you back the next time that we step into the arena of ideas. This is Dr. Brian Chilton, and you've been listening to the Baltimore Christie Podcast. Good night. You've been listening to the Bellator Christie Podcast, brought to you by bellatorchristie.com. The views expressed on this podcast may not reflect those of Bellator Christie Ministries or its affiliates. This program is protected under Creative Commons copyright, all rights reserved. If you enjoyed this podcast, then be sure to subscribe and leave a positive review. Also, tell a friend. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you back the next time that we step into the arena of ideas.